And so I want to start off today giving you a quote. It's not word for word because I'm kind of adding a little bit to it from Dr. Tim Keller. A lot of his, his preaching I like. Prophet Kevin Leal turned me on to him. Um, but listen to what he says. He says, the perfect definition of the Lord is the fruit of the Spirit. The perfect definition of how God identifies himself is the fruit of the Spirit. He can only give what he has and who he is. God only gives who he is and what he has. And who he is is what we are becoming because he is a joyful God. Grace was accomplished at the cross and we all experienced it. When you get born again, it's by the grace of God. The cross was the grace of God to save your life. You couldn't save yourself. God knew it. And so he would give himself on the cross and then give you his spirit. But it's by grace that you are saved. But not everyone experiences his joy. Grace comes from the cross, but joy comes from walking in the spirit because it's the fruit of the spirit. So you're saved by grace, but to experience the true joy that God has for you, it only comes when you learn to walk in the spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are all interconnected into one fruit. It's actually called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. We've titled this series The Fruits of the Spirit because there's nine different fruits and we're teaching on each one, but they're all interconnected into one fruit. Now, here's the cool thing. You're not deficient in any one fruit. You just haven't grown in maturity in those fruits yet. You need to realize that. You're not fruit deficient. You may be deficient in how you manifest the fruit of the Spirit, but you have the full character and nature of Christ inside of you when you're born again. So you get all of him. He doesn't give you a piece of him. He gives you all of him. But you have to learn to grow and learn to discover and mature in the fruit that God has already put inside of you in the nature and character of who he is. You have to learn how to love better. You have to learn how to endure. You have to learn how to be patient. You have to learn how to be kind. And the true definitions and source of all the, those fruits are rooted in him. It's not as the world gives. It's only the fruit of the spirit that comes from the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have all of the fruit. You experience it. You experience the fullness of his fruit out of faithfulness and faithful living. So what I want you to understand is that you can have moments of joy and moments of breakthrough, but to continuously experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life, there's a requirement. One, it's to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to remain in the Spirit which requires faithfulness and faithful living. So the premise of this message today is that God is good. Figure you figured that. God is good. There's a scripture all the time he's good. That's right. There's a, the scripture for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever appears, I studied it a long time ago, over 30 times in the Bible. It's the very essence and nature of who he is. Notice that anger is not in the fruit of the Spirit. But God can be angry. However, his anger only endures for a moment. So 
Anger's not a fruit of his spirit, but he can be angry, but the primary nature of who he is is good and merciful and kind and loving and patient with you, always desiring you, always bearing long with you. It amazes me how the Lord can continue to bear so long with us. It's his forbearance. It's not giving us what we deserve, but continuing to stay the course and honestly, already knowing you would probably do the things that you would do and be messy. So he gave his life. And while you were yet sinners, he shed his blood for you. This is the good news. It's called the gospel. So the essence of the gospel of the good news is not just information. It's a person. The good news is a person. The Holy Spirit's not an essence. He's not an aura. He's a person. He is the good news. He is the fruit of the Spirit. It's who he is. It's what he constantly reveals and demonstrates. He demonstrates it to us so he can do it through us. He reveals it to us so other people can see it. We're going to really tackle that a lot today because when God works something miraculous in your life, and you experience the goodness and the joy of the Lord, it's not just for you, it's the people that are surrounding you that see it, and your life becomes a a roadmap for their life to come out of what they're in. It's not God just delivering you, he's delivering you so people can follow you. It's not just about me getting out, but most of the time I feel that way, God, please, please, Lord, please, God rescue you, rescue me and set me free or take me out of this situation. But what you have to realize is God doesn't just get you out for you. He does it for your spouse, your children, your family, your legacy, the generations coming behind you. Men, when you get set free, the chances of your family and your, the generations coming behind you are in the high 90 percentile range if a man fully surrenders his life to Christ. So when his spirit is living inside of us, the fruit, of the, joy, the fruit of joy becomes us because it's who he is. Now, one simple way for you to understand this is that when you see God's goodness in your life, you'll experience his joy. So we often correlate, man, God did something so incredible for me, I'm so happy, right? You got a breakthrough, you got a new job, you got a promotion, Um, a huge win in your life, your taxes, whatever it is. We can correlate oftentimes, I'm so happy and I have so much joy because God has been so good. This is what people say. People that I never hear say to me, man, God is so good, will say it when something great happens in their life. Man, I really realized God is so good because I had this breakthrough. Circumstances can play a huge part in this understanding And again, when provision and breakthrough happens, most of the time we correlate joy and happiness to that. However, what happens when you have adverse circumstances in your life? What happens when you're suffering and you're in painful situations? What happens when things aren't going well? That's where the real rubber meets the road. It's easy to dance and shout and proclaim God's good, when you had massive wins and breakthroughs. But what about in the valley when it's hard? What about when you're sick? What about when you're in pain? What about when you don't feel good? What about when you can barely pay your next rent check or, or your 
groceries or you're in a fight for survival mode? What about when you feel like you're gonna die? Anybody ever feel that way or just me? What about when you feel like you come to your very edge and you feel like you're gonna fall off or you're hanging on barely by a, a tree branch and you feel like your life's about to end? How about when you fall off the edge but God catches you every time with his net because he's never, ever failed you. This is the thing, God's never failed you, ever. There's never been a time that God hasn't been good. There's never a time God's not good, but we correlate natural circumstances and situations to his goodness. This is where you'll understand Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength because my strength isn't in circumstances. My strength is in the goodness of God. It's the very character and nature of who he is. Now, you have to discover this. I'm telling you about it. It's hard to correlate the goodness of God when you are in a world of hurt and pain. And I will tell you, great news is really great news in the world of really bad news. Right? So if the gospel is good news, when is the good news the best news? Now, the good news is always good news. Jesus remains the same. But I can tell you that God has this way of keeping you in tension. God has this way of keeping us in tension, doesn't he? I think, man, Lord, why do I always feel like I'm in tension? And the Lord spoke back. He's like, because it always keeps you desperate and vulnerable. You have worship like you had today. You have intercession and crying and tears that produce a harvest because God always takes you from glory to glory and he loves you enough to never leave you the same. So there's this tension of desperation. There's this tension that when you're weak and you feel incredibly weak, God says, there you will find my strength. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You just need the grace of God to see you through it. And so we can't just allow circumstances to dictate what joy really looks like. If we don't understand and have faith in the reality that God is good by nature and that he demonstrates his goodness continuously towards us, here's what happens. Number one, we can lose hope and want to give up. And I've said to you all so many times, I'm going to say it again, never, ever, ever quit. My dad taught me when I was a child, when I signed up for my first soccer team at nine, he says, I'm going to let you sign up for the soccer team. I'll never forget this. He said, but you're going to finish this season and anything you ever sign up for or commit yourself to, you make a decision now that you will never quit. You never, ever, ever be a quitter. And I'm going to tell you right now, if my mouth can talk, I'm going to preach the gospel. I may not hardly be able to walk and I may feel sick as a dog, but my outward man may perish, but it doesn't dictate what my inward man becomes. Now, it hinders sometimes. It's hard. But after you go through it enough, after you experience pain enough, suffering and hardship, and when you understand what the Bible says about it, what you realize is God's good all the time. He's always for me. He's never against me. And he'll never leave me or forsake you. Either he will or he won't. 
What are your alternatives? Live in despair and doubt and disbelief and question the healing power of God and the goodness of God? And then live in not believing anymore and just accept your fate? I'm not going to accept my fate. The devil's fate, the devil may be fatal, but God's got a future. God's got a future. And he knows what it is. He's got a plan for you. No one should be living continuously discouraged. And our happiness doesn't come from the things we possess or the people that we're with. They bring joy to my life and they can bring, they can make me happy. But the true source of joy and blessing comes within him. Because my kids and my wife will fall short and fail and not give me enough. And when is enough enough? I'll just tell you all right now, I never get enough hugs and kisses from my kids, ever. <laughs> Anybody? You know, I mean, it's like, come on, guys, like my son. He's all boy. Now, he cuddles with his mom, but with me, he just wants to punch and fight all the time. I don't know where he got that from. All he wants to do is wrestle and smash, and I'm sure that I instigated that. So then when I say, can I have a huggy? He's like, yeah, pow, he punches me right in the stomach. But see, true satisfaction and joy and happiness is rooted in him, not in the things of this world. The next thing is that we can feel no joy and we can doubt the goodness of God and we can remain frustrated, can want to give up in our suffering, or we take matters into our own hands. We either want to check out, choke out, or run away. Check out, choke out, or run away. None of those are the right options. None of those should even be an option, but sometimes we feel that way, don't we? But it's the goodness of God that will sustain you in those times and those seasons because when you really know it and you really believe it and you really trust it, then you know God's always for you and he's always gonna work it out even if you're in a season of crying and weeping. We're gonna study Psalm 126 here in just a moment about sowing in tears bags of seeds coming out of your eyes. Because in brokenness comes the most beautiful sacrifice. Sometimes when you feel at your very end, what comes out of you? And you can run to the things of this world and other lovers and addiction and drugs and alcohol and pornography. But here's the thing, those things will never satisfy. And God has this way of showing you it'll never satisfy until you finally come to the place of realizing only his love will. And now, what are my choices? This temporary thing that will never satisfy and only make me combust and feel worse after the fact or an everlasting eternal joy that's always with me no matter what at all times. And the great thing about God is even when you ran to these other things, he kept showing up and loving you. Did he or didn't he? he did. But when we remain steadfast in our belief that God is good, no matter what the circumstance or delay in breakthrough is. Look, we get delays in breakthrough, but God's promises remain steadfast. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. All the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God through you. So God wants to reveal his glory through you. Say this with me. Say, I am... A promise. The power of this scripture is that you're an 
you're an heir to the promise. You're a seed of Abraham. That's the context of this scripture, 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises, all y'all are yes and amen, meaning it will be established and it will come to pass. You say, well, there are many things I've seen in this world that didn't come to pass, like the loss of a loved one to cancer or sickness. And see, I believe that God is good and the promises remain whether on this earth or in heaven because eternity is real to me. And I already know having pondered it enough with enough funerals, more than I'd even want to tell you, and what God has shown me that actually it's more real on the other side than this side. And that those that have gone there are probably thinking, if you only knew. You're like, I know you're crying. I know you feel such a loss and so, so hurting. But if you only knew what I am experiencing and life, the days are, life is a vapor. We're all dust in the wind. We're all grass of the field that flourished for a moment and gone. In the grand scheme of things, eternity's beautiful and they're fully healed when they pass over. I don't understand why it didn't fully happen here on this side, but what I do know is God is good. And if you can discover the goodness of God in heartache and pain and brokenness and suffering, if you can start to declare and believe in the goodness of God before your breakthrough comes, imagine when the breakthrough comes. What if instead of waiting until you the, tomorrow or next week or the next day when your answer, your healing, or your provision comes, instead of waiting till then to rejoice, you started rejoicing in advance and you started making declarations and coming into agreement with God. See, I learned this. This is not a new thing for me. Many times God has said, are you going to praise me now or are you going to wait till then? I'm going to praise you now. This is decreeing and declaration. This is the power of intercession. We're going to talk about intercession day in the context of sowing in tears and reaping with joy. Sowing in tears means you are in the worst position of your life and you're in tears, but you're actually sowing. See, sowing means you're taking action in advance, believing I'm sowing something that will produce a harvest. Some of you have prodigal children that have walked away. Mark my words, God's bigger than you are and loves them more than you do. Don't you think for a second God can't rescue your prodigal son or daughter? He rescued you. I was the prodigal son. He rescued me. You have to gain an understanding of what it means to be a promise. When I just studied this word and I learned that a promise wasn't just something I would get or that God would give me, a promise was a becoming of something. Please hear me on this. When you start to see that you are the promise, made all the way back from the garden to Abraham and through all the patriarchs to you today, when you realize it was all for this moment, it was all Jesus laid his life down for this moment, and this moment will be for the next moment, and it will be for the next generation. It will be for the generations to come unless Jesus comes back. But we fully embrace the moment, looking and believing and standing firm, no matter how long the delay, no matter how hard it seems. It's like you look at Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, in the hall of faith, some subdued nations while others had their heads chopped off and were martyrs but all were great men and women of faith. Amen. Because you stay the course no matter what. 
because my circumstance shouldn't dictate, but sometimes it does. But then what it does is if you're in a really horrible situation or circumstance or you've been in one or you'll be in one, here's what it does. Those circumstances and situations produce a desperate cry out of me in that moment. And it takes me to the rubber meets the road of what am I, how am I going to act? And I'm going to tell you, there's times that, that in the, my past, I have checked out and spun out, but God brought me back every time. And then I've come to the spot of saying, I don't want to do that anymore. Lord, you're my only hope because he is your only hope. There is really no other answer. No lover, no money, no job, no sex, no drugs. You'll figure it out at some point. I just want you to figure it out sooner before more hardship and damage comes. But God's already rescued and saved you. And if you're in Christ, you're fully healed and forgiven inside of him. You're in him. Now he takes you through the process of discovery. You think that God is surprised by your mess and your failures and your shortcomings? Look at the thousands of years of patriarchs that did just as bad or worse than you. I don't think that God is at all caught off guard or surprised. I think he looks down and says, yeah, you really are a mess, but I love you the way that you are, and I've got a perfect plan for you, and I'm going to lead you out of it because I love you, and I care about you, and I'm for you because I'm good, and I'm actually, my very essence and nature is joy for you. He has joy for you and joy for your children. Don't listen to the narratives and the lies of the world. Stop listening to the world. It's all contrary to the design of the kingdom. For the love, stop. I'm just telling you, the narratives are destructive. God has set his king. There is a king on a mountain now. He's already there. There's a king on a mountain. Rejoice. True joy comes from having confidence in him and knowing that you're never alone, that he's always for you, his favor's with you, and that he fights for you. So true joy comes in understanding you have the favor of God now. The favor of God is with you now. Amen. The future is now. True joy also comes from the freedom that you receive in Christ. So let me explain this to you. One of the very best ways that, that I have joy in my life, above all, that God always brings me back to, and especially understanding that he's good, is the understanding of who I once was versus who I am now. Who, some of y'all were really, really jacked up. I mean, bad, bad. Now the teenagers are looking at me like, what are you talking about? You don't ever need to be bad, but you need Jesus as much as we ever did. But you don't need to do the things that we did, okay? But you'll have your own path and your own journey. You have your own path and your own journey. But the premise here is that there's a continuous theme throughout the Bible about remembrance of where you came from to who you are now. When I think, it doesn't matter how bad my situation is. When I think about who I once was versus who I am now, it brings incredible joy to my life. In fact, many times when I'm in my worst spot, God will say, let's take you back a moment. And then he takes me down memory lane. You ever, does God ever take you down memory lane? So let's go for a little walk. 
No, but see, it's not to live. See, I don't live in regret of my past. I had godly sorrow, which led to repentance, which led to salvation. There's glory. His glory is in your story. No more shame. Let God use your story, because trust me, your story will be powerful for someone else that's in the same spot or even worse than where you were. So there's this joy. There's a joy that comes from the cross. There's a joy that comes from the blood. There's a joy that comes from being redeemed from my sinful past. And there's this joy of knowing I'm not alone. See, there's a difference between being lonely and being alone. You can feel lonely at times, but you're not alone. Catch that. And many times God will have you go through seasons of loneliness to show you that you're not alone. For you to discover who your first love is. It's not the arms of another. Some of you can't go a month or a week or a day without somebody in your arms. Or boyfriends and girlfriends and oh, you've never had a season of singleness. The Lord has to be your first love. So it's knowing who I am today versus who I once was. It's this deliverance. I was delivered from something, and now I became something new. And despite my struggles today, it's nothing compared to who I once was or who you once were. So you have to remember to remind yourself, lest you forget where you've come from, because here's the premise. If he did it before... I cannot tell you how many times I've sat at the crossroads of what I felt like was death and destruction in Christ, staring down the most adverse situation, and I have said out of my mouth, Lord, you did it before. You can do it again. Which leads me to probably, now you have to understand, when we talk about goodness and joy, this message can go 50 different directions. It could be an entire series in and of itself. But I'm going to sum it up in what I believe I, I could demonstrate the very best example of this topic. And it's Psalm 126. Psalm 126. Verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, or those who were taken captive is another way to say that, let me paraphrase it for you. It was so surreal that I almost could hardly believe it. It was so beyond what I could have imagined. It was so bigger than what I thought it would be. In fact, I almost didn't think it was going to happen. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. When you felt like there's no way, God made a way. Amen. When you were in the worst bondage state of your life, when you've burned every bridge and given yourself away to every lover, when you've said things and done things and destroyed things, when you were sold into slavery, when you did the worst of the worst, but you were fully in bondage, when the Lord set you free from that place, it was so, you know what the word surreal means? It's so bizarre. Let me give you some good words for surreal. It didn't even seem real. Like, 
I had to, you'd have to pinch yourself a thousand times because you thought it was a dream. Now I'm describing it to you. I'll give you some examples here in a moment. Some of you haven't had this experience in a long time. It's like this foreign thing. It's been so long. The joy of your salvation waned and the excitement and the passion and the euphoric, ecstatic thing of that deliverance. That's why God never wants you to lose the joy of your salvation. Because when you were flipped out of the kingdom of darkness into the power of his son, it was, it was an ecstasy event. At least it was for me. Surreal means marked by intense, irrational reality of a dream. It's unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Oh my God. Oh my God. You did it, Lord. You did it. You did what I could never do. You flipped this narrative. You intervened, Lord. Oh my God. And this is the best way I know to describe this to you. And it's shocking and it's so strange. It's like, I'm going to tell you a story here in a minute where the people saw the most supernatural event that it, it literally flipped them out of their head. It knocked them out of their mind. It was like, so shocking. And this is the premise of this scripture. That when the Lord brought back your captivity and set you free, you were like someone who dreamed. So here's some good examples of that. The Israelites, when they were brought out of Egypt and came through the Red Sea, they had a dance party like you've never seen before. They sang and danced with such, well, I mean, think about it. They'd been in bondage for 400 years. They just thought they were gonna die one minute. The Red Sea parts right at their most desperate need. They come out on the other side. The sea closes and kills all the Egyptian warriors and chariots and horses, and they come out of the other side, and it, what do they do? Dance party. Because they were in this euphoric surreal state of just being fully delivered miraculously from Egypt. Another great example is King David when he lost, when he had moved all the mighty men and their families to the enemy's camp in the Philistines camp. This is a great story if you've never read it in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And they, their wives and children and all their stuff were taken into captivity. Then all, the, all his mighty men want to stone him. And so what's he do? He doesn't have a pity party. He doesn't complain. He doesn't go into depression. He doesn't numb out. He doesn't check out. Instead, he gets the linen ephod and he gets the, the thurim and the umen, puts it on, has visions from the Lord, hears God say, go after and you'll recover all. And that day, they didn't just recover all and get their wives and family back but all the enemy that stole from them left everything behind and they recovered 10 times more. When Israel came out of Egypt, they didn't come out empty-handed, but I'd imagine they, they wept for 400 years. What did they come out with? All the silver and gold. What happens is, is when God, I'm gonna try to say this right. Some of you have stopped dreaming 
and you've forgotten the dreams. Some of you had dreams when you were a child of doing the most incredible things with the Lord, and God was downloading these supernatural events of things you would do. Some of you dreamed you'd turn the world upside down. Some of you had these amazing encounters with the Lord like a child, and then over time through life and kids and family and money and hardships and struggles and failures or whatever it is, where did the dream go? Or maybe you got fully sold into captivity and all the dreams died. Let me tell you something about a dead dream. One of the most powerful things about a dead dream is when God resurrects it. You know how many times I've had dreams that I thought for sure were dead in the ground, never to be resurrected again? You see, until a seed falls to the ground, it can't produce a harvest. It has to die. And many times those dreams have to die because if they don't, you'll take credit for it or you'll think you accomplished it or you did it in your own strength. It can only be God. It can only be God. In fact, I've prayed so many prayers. God, it can only be you. It can only be you. And God has this way of taking you to places repeatedly where it can only be God. And then God resurrects those dead dreams in your life. So notice when, the cap, when they were set free, they literally were like those who dreamed, meaning it seems so not even real like a dream, but also meaning that it took me back to the dreams. I was like one who was a dreamer. I was weeping with the Lord today about some things that he was reminding me of in this message, and while I'm working it out with the Lord, about some dreams that I had that I completely missed and forgotten, and God says, I didn't forget. See, God never forgets a promise he makes to you or your family. A promise is a guarantee, and he guarantees it. All right, y'all can laugh a little. I know this is so, I'm preaching on goodness and joy, and it's so intense, but, but look, let me ask you a question. What dreams have died that God wants to resurrect in your life? Ask the Lord that for a moment. Close your eyes. You don't think that God can't drop something into you right now. What new dreams does God have for you that you've never even seen? God wants you to dream again. And when you're in captivity, you stop dreaming. But when you come out, you dream like you've never dreamed before. Some of you have sold yourselves into slavery of sin and addiction, and the dream stopped. But God's buying you out with his blood. God wants to buy you out with his blood so that you can dream again, be who you were always called to be. So the goodness of God restored Israel to such an incredible wonder and joy. It was so incredible and marvelous that they hardly dared to believe it to the point that it didn't seem real. It's the beauty of deliverance and restoration. What has you captive right now? God wants to set you free from that. God makes a way where there seems to be no way. A great example of this is Isaiah 43, 19. In Isaiah 43, 19, God promises to do something new for you and that when he does, it's gonna be so beautiful and so wonderful 
that when you are in your most desert dry place, God will make you into a riverbed or a stream bed, and it'll make your life into a road. Let's look at the scripture, Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So I wrote this prayer down. This prayer I wrote from this was, Lord, make me a stream bed where I am dry or was once dry like a desert. If there's any desert places inside of me, Lord, let your river flow through my life again. Make me a road that others may follow on not just a way out for myself, but for my family, friends, and the outcast. See, when God sets you free, it's not just for you. It creates a road in the wilderness where others are going to follow. You're surrounded by a cloud of witness. And many times I'm just thinking about myself, but God knows the bigger and better plan that when you get set free, your life becomes a testimony for others to follow behind you. Isn't that awesome? Because he doesn't just do it for you. He does it for your family. He does it for your children. He does it for the generations. So the prayer is, Lord, make me a stream bed. Make me a road. The Bible tells this story in the book of Acts of the lame man who is a beggar at the temple, specifically at the gate called Beautiful. Now, this gate is called Beautiful while the man sat there not in a beautiful state his entire life. He was lame from birth. Now, imagine this giant gate. The reason why this gate was called Beautiful because it was the most magnificent of all the gates. It was also the widest and biggest gate of them all, and it was where most of the people would pass through. So, of course, the lame beggar is going to sit there. This man's entire life, he's in his worst condition and state, sitting at a gate called Beautiful. And every day, people would pass by until one day, Peter and John showed up. And when Peter and John showed up, you, sh you should know the story in Acts 3. It's really a beautiful story, but they say, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have, I give to you. What they had was more powerful than money. Because I would imagine over the years, people had been giving him money while he stayed in the same state. So eventually what they gave was what they had, which was, was, who, which was, what, was, which was what who he is. They literally gave away the nature of Christ, and bam, the man leapt to his feet. And I want you to see what happens when he was changed in an instant in Acts chapter 3, verse 8. Acts 3, 8, the minute the man was healed, what did he do? He leapt, stood, walked, and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. This is the, this is the most beautiful picture of what I'm preaching you today. The goodness of God instantly hit this man, which brought the most incredible joy. Now, I love that, and I want you to get your breakthrough. But more than the God of the breakthrough, he's the God of the growth through. Learn to leap with joy in your most difficult state, and the breakthrough becomes even greater. Mark my words, because everything's a test. Everything's a test. Now, look at the people's response. I really want to pull this out and show this to you. In Acts chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they knew, or, or when they saw him, that they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So when the people saw it, they were filled with wonder and amazement. And then a few verses later, Peter says, 
basically, why are you marveling? So I want to talk about three words today, wonder, amazement, and marveling. The word wonder means to be dumbfounded, stupefied, and astonished. I'm completely dumbfounded. This was such a miraculous breakthrough. This was so incredible what God did. It completely astonished me and dumbfounded me. The word amazement is where we get the exact Greek word for ecstasy. They were ecstatic. To be ecstatic means to be bewildered. It's displaced in the mind as in a trance. It means that I was thrown into a complete state of wonder. I had an overwhelming feeling of great happiness and joyful excitement. It's an emotional or religious frenzy or trance-like state. Now, I would like that to happen here at Rock City Church, and I believe it's going to. I believe we're going to see it when we see these types of encounters and breakthroughs, but I also believe that we can step into it before we even see it. And so I'm going after it now, no matter what, no matter before we see the massive amounts of healings and breakthroughs or whatever it is that's going to, the money coming for the new sanctuary, the breakthroughs in my personal life, there's all kinds of things. But God has this way of doing the unexpected. And when the unexpected happens, it completely rocks your world. Keep believing God for the unexpected. And then to marvel is to be filled with wonder and amazement. It means to be astonished, which leads to admiration. This is one thing I really want you to see. When people see your world rocked, what they do is it ultimately leads to this state of admiration. It means they have regard and respect and approval because I know it was real because I knew you. Only God could have done it. So now when I take you back to Psalm 126 and you're gonna see that the nations see what happens to Israel and they rejoice and be glad because God always had this pattern in the Bible with Israel where the nations were watching and that what happened with them was a sign and wonder to the nations. It's a theme throughout the entire Old Testament. That's why Moses would reason with God when God was like, I'm gonna wipe them out. He's like, but what will the nations say? Right? Because they've seen your great wonder and power only to let them fail here. That's a powerful reasoning with God. So notice the man gets healed and what happens to the people that had walked by him every day? They're rocked. They're amazed, astonished, bewildered, thrown out of their mind and completely flipped because I knew this was Lord. I'll give you an example. I remember one time we were on a Wednesday night service and I had a doctor here that really didn't believe Jesus was Lord. And there was a deliverance happening and he watched a demon come out of a guy. And he looked at me and he goes, Jesus, I now know Jesus is Lord. And from that point forward, because he saw the deliverance in someone else's life, it became so real to him. That's why so many times Jesus's ministry was fully public, the deliverance, the supernatural, so that the people could see the signs and wonders and works, which would ultimately point to who he was. So that leads me to Psalm 126, verse 2 and 3. What happens when your freedom and your deliverance comes? Your mouth was filled with laughter and your tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. So what's the first thing that happens when your freedom and your restoration comes? You go, this is not a dream. Your life story is an incredible with Jericho is, is that. The hardest, darkest place and then 
redemption comes, adoption comes, supernatural provision comes, and you're like, look, because it probably felt like a dream in your darkest place, like not real. But then and when it happens, like, pinch myself, this is incredible. So when it comes, you realize that this is not a dream, this is reality. The next thing is that your mouth is filled with singing and joy, laughter. It's ecstatic joy on another level that no, no drug, listen, this kind of ecstasy is better than a bar. I'm just telling you all right now, you can toke it up, smoke it up, drink it up, eat it up, swallow it up, pill it up. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a peace and an ecstasy that comes from the Lord you'll never get from. That's temporary and fades. This is eternal and lasts. Come to me and drink. I'm the living water, Jesus said, and you'll never thirst again. Just a few examples from my personal life, the birth of my children. For me, when I saw those babies come out of my wife, I was like, this blew my mind. I mean, the joy and excitement, it, and it just so, it flipped me. Marrying my wife. When I got married to my wife, oh man, it was surreal. We had a legal ruling for a child that we've been fighting for. We've told you the story. It was so unexpected that all we could do was cry. I couldn't, I didn't know whether to smile. My mouth was going up and down. I didn't know what to do. It was so euphoric to me in that moment. When I got saved, here's another one. When I see someone else get saved, when I see somebody else genuinely give their life to Jesus and mean it, it you know what the Bible says the angels are doing in heaven? There's a party going on. They're rejoicing and dancing and swirling around. And I can only imagine what that party's like. When I see someone filled with the Spirit, oh, that really gets me full of joy. And we start praying in tongues together. I've had more laughter and joy praying in tongues with somebody who's praying in tongues for the first time. I have had literally knock me to the ground laughter over. Have you ever had that? Am I the only one? I mean, I love the joy of the Lord hitting, right? There's so many other examples. Here's some good biblical examples. When the demoniac got delivered living in the tombs and no chains could hold him down, and every night he's crying out. Can you imagine how eerie it would sound from the mountains and they tried to chain him up and he couldn't, and he would cut himself with the rod. You know, cutting's in the Bible, right? If you've ever cut yourself or know somebody that cuts themselves to try to relieve pain, it's an antichrist spirit's what it is. And it was on Mount, um, it was with uh, Elijah. Huh? The prophets of Baal were cutting themselves to try to get their God to move on their behalf. And here the demoniac was cutting himself every night. But the minute Jesus showed up on the seashore, the demons were like, we can't handle it. And the man got set free. Now check this out. When the man got set free, in Mark chapter 5, verse 20, he begged to go, to go with Jesus. He was in his right mind. The people were shocked. The guy was in his right mind. What, what did Jesus do? He said, go to Decapolis. This is what Jesus told him to do, and he did it. He went to Decapolis to proclaim all that Jesus had done for him. And what did they do? They marveled. In Luke chapter 10, 
Jesus sends out the 70 disciples to go house to house to preach the good news and heal people and cast out demons. And when they came back in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, they had so much joy for how much power they had. That's the, the premise of it. Like, I cannot believe, you know, when I first cast a demon out of someone, I felt like, uh, I told you guys this before, I felt like that little mighty mouse character holding the big giant laser that could blow up the whole world. It was so much, I'd never experienced anything like that. And so what did he do? Or what did they do? They had joy because they realized that the enemy was subject to them. But then Jesus one-ups them, and he basically says, or he basically rejoices, says, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then he rejoiced. And this word for rejoicing in Luke 10, 21, is the Greek word agaleo. Agaleo. It means to leap and twirl and dance. Jesus leapt and twirled and danced with joy because of what he saw happening with the disciples. I want you to think about being filled with laughter. When's the last time you had a really good laugh and you weren't high or drunk? Some of y'all can't even remember. See, this is super, this is not prefabricated dry bar comedy laughter. This is laughter from the heart of God that brings medicine to your heart because of how good God is. You should want that. I want, I desperately want that. You know, when I'm really full of joy and laughter at home, I just become a big kid. I dance around, goof around, sing around. I'm, I'm like wild. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm really happy, I sing. I love to sing. So I'm going to leave you with this because there's so much to this. But Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. He continuously goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What does it mean to sow in tears? For me, it means sowing in my suffering. It means in my worst, most difficult place or when I'm grieving for you or someone, I'm sowing seed. I see my tears as bags of seed coming out of my eyes. What if your teardrops were literally seeds that would produce a harvest for your life? And what if you never gave up? See the continually part? Look at the scripture. When you stay steadfast and continuous and you don't give up, what if all those tears, God knew them and saw them and caught them in a bottle? The Bible says that's what he does. And what if they're actually gonna produce a great harvest? And what if you started crying with expectation, even in your most desperate state, crying out to the Lord, trusting in him, because you may have had nothing and you're sowing in tears and barrenness in a desert season, but when you come out, you come out with armfuls of sheaves of grain and wheat and provision and silver and gold. It's what happened to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. For me, sowing in tears is sowing in intercession. Step in the gap, beloved, step in the gap. Because you know what often happens when things are hard? We don't pray. And sometimes all I can say is, God, I know only you can do it, God. I'm trusting in you. See, in the most difficult place, instead of checking out, we start sowing in. We feel burdens and weights. 
sowing and suffering. It's, so, it's sowing and believing that no matter what you're facing, that God's joy is with you and his joy is your strength. Psalm 30, verse five, for his anger is but for a moment, but his favors for a life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You're gonna cry. In fact, you should cry. There's people, men and women in here that you can't remember the last time you cried. And I told the Lord, God, I wanna cry. And he said, okay, you're gonna cry. In fact, I said, split me wide open, God. Let it all come out. Because bottled up emotions will keep you from sowing in tears. We come to the place where we feel no pain and we have no remorse and compassion. You need to repent and let God trust God. Just rip your heart wide open. Rend your heart and not your garment. Let God rend your heart. Sowing in tears, reaping in joy. Continuously releasing bags of seeds out of your eyes produces a harvest of sheaves for your future. Isn't that powerful? So I know it's hard. I know it's tough, but God is good. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. He's good all the time. So what are you believing for? And what do you need to dream for again? Let's all stand. We're going to pray for that. I'd like to ask my prayer partners and my ministry team, my elders, to all come up, please. You know, I want to I wanna laugh. I want to giggle laugh. I want to laugh till I just can't stand it anymore. How about you? I want the joy of the Lord like I've never known or seen. And I want it right now, no matter what I'm going through. How about you? And I don't want to take a pill or smoke a joint or drink a drink or... I don't want that anymore. Nothing is going to bring it like the Lord can. So today, if you're hurting and broken, struggling, it's been a, if it's been a long time since you've had a good laugh, if you're missing that true joy deep on the inside, I want to invite you to come up and let somebody pray for you. And I'm going to pray for you publicly. Lord, make me a stream bed in the desert. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord, make me a stream bed. Make me a road that leads me and others out of captivity. I don't want to be captive anymore, Lord. I want to dream again. Fill my mouth with laughter and joy. Let me sing again, God. I want to sing, Lord, to you. I want to dream like a child again, God. I don't want to worry about what anyone else, anyone else thinks or says, Lord. It doesn't matter anymore. You're my everything. 
You're all we have, Lord. You're too much, God. Above and beyond. You're our all-sufficiency, Lord. You're it. Everyone that needs healing, breakthroughs, comfort, let them find it today. Let them find you today, Lord. dream again, God. We want to dream again, Lord. Those who sow in tears will reap with joy. We believe in the harvest, God. We know we're going to reap. If you did it once, Lord, you can do it again. And again and again and again. You're always the same. There's no shadow of turning with you, Lord. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Thank you, Lord, for this fast. Thank you for grace to fast. Thank you, Lord, for love sick worshipers. Thank you that this is a house of prayer. That in a world of wicked judges, we have the righteous judge. Cry out day and night, Lord. Cry out, cry out, cry out. Cry out, God. We are so desperate, Lord. We're so desperate, God. We need you, God. We need you, Lord. Thank you.